Chapter 13 I started work on my flippant routine the next morning. In a matter of days, I would take the stage as Steve Wright, not the corner of a pub, an actual stage. I'd research the theatre. At capacity, it held 400 people. I had to make them laugh, and I had to make the judges laugh. There were 16 semi-finalists, only six of us went through, and I wanted to be one of them. After years of not knowing what I could be after high school, one night at the new pavilion had showed me a potential future. It was mine for the taking. I paced around my bedroom, vocalising my thoughts in the hope one might germinate into a five-minute stand-up routine. I mined every recent experience. I mined every recent experience, hoping there was something there. Getting stood up, finding out Dad was raising a new family in Melbourne, but they were more disheartening than they were funny. I went further back, drawing on my days, stacking shelves at a stationery superstore, but. Talking about it was just as boring as stacking shelves at a stationary superstore. I had nothing. I kept trying, but no idea got to a fifth sentence, let alone a fifth minute. It was pushing midday when my mobile rang. I'm outside, Stick said. He hung up. He was waiting on my doorstep wearing a tracksuit and a sweat headband. The last thing I wanted to do was walk into another Peter tantrum. No, not again. Psych, Stick said. He pushed one crutch back behind him. His father was standing on the nature strip with a bike propped up against his waist. He gave the bell a ring. What? Come on. Stix was already starting walking over. How did your mum's date go? Well, she got back this morning. Ooh, and your date? I had hoped he wouldn't ask. My chest felt heavy as soon as he did. It didn't happen. He scrunched his face. I was going to have to clarify. She stood me up. Sticks laughed, but quickly caught himself. Sorry, he said. We stopped in front of the bike. What do you reckon? I don't understand. You bought me a bike? No. Oh, it's Damo's BMX, he said. Mr. P was a boulder of a man. He had been a rugby prop in his heyday. He pushed a helmet into my chest. Chuck that on, he said. You're going to learn to ride a bike. Sticks shrugged and settled himself on the curb. Go on then. I really don't. It's a dad's job to teach you to ride, he said. Consider this alone. Mr. P walked, walked me and the bike across the onto the road. I'm expecting tumbles, by the way, Sticks added. You flipping over the handlebars at least once. I'll try, I muttered, adjusting the strap under my chin. Ignore him, Mr. P said. I didn't have much to do with Stix's dad. He kept mostly to himself, occasionally emerging from his study to drive us to the movies or raid the fridge. I didn't know quite how to talk to him. The only men his age I encountered were teachers. How are you going with that helmet, he asked. I released the strap and it sagged forward. Not well then. Mr. P let the bike's weight fall onto him and held out his hand. Come around. I walked over. He took the strap and tinkered with it. The trick is, there. He laid one palm on top of the helmet and tested its sturdiness with a few hard shakes. It didn't budge. 
thanks for this, I said, before he turned away. The helmet? It's no big deal. No, I mean for coming to teach me. Mr P shrugged it off. No worries. Stop bonding and start falling, Sticks called from the curb. Mr P flipped him the finger. You want to have a go? At flipping him off? No, I do that all the time. Oh, at this? Yeah, okay. He set the bike up in the middle of a traffic lane. I hesitated. Shouldn't we? Don't worry, he assured me. Cars will avoid you. That didn't fill me with a whole lot of confidence, but we were so far away from any intersection that if a driver did hit us, they were clearly so terrible that they would have hit us if we were on the footpath. Mr P adjusted the seat low and told me to sit. I did. My feet still touched the ground. He stood to the side with one hand on the right handlebar and the other pressing down on the back of the seat. Now the thing to remember, riding a bike is all about balance. You lose it, you fall. You think about it, you fall. You have to keep the pedals moving, he said. And that's about it, really. Okay, I gave the bell a quick ring. When you're ready. Sitting on the bike, legs splayed out, I waited for further instruction. Mr P interpreted interpreted it as fear. I've got you. You won't fall, he said. I want you to try to get one foot on the pedal. I raised my left foot slowly and forced it under the pedal strap. You're doing great, Mr P said with a half smile. You're making fun of me. No, I'm not. Concentrating hard, I raised my grounded foot. My weight shifted and the bike began to tilt. I bailed and planted the foot back on the road. Don't rush it, he instructed. I took a breath and tried again. There was wobbling and Mr P pressing his weight down to steady the bike. Without the whole balance thing to worry me, the second pedal was a piece of cake. There. Easy, isn't it, he said. Now you're going to pedal. Don't let go. I'm not going to let go. Okay. I pedaled forward slowly. Mr P walked with me. The bike swayed. Just focus on pedaling. Don't worry about your balance. I've got you, he said raising his hand off the back seat and placing it on my back. Go faster. Don't let go, I warned him as I quickened the pace. I won't. I know your game. I've seen this on TV, I said, voice laced with panic. You push them while they're riding and then you say you're going to hold on, then secretly you let go and see how far they get. I would never, Mr P said, releasing the handlebar and giving me a push. Wait, no, you shifty. Look forward, don't stop, keep pedalling. The bike jerked forward. I tried straightening the front wheel with the handlebars, but I could already feel the bike tilting to the right. I tried compensating for it by leaning to the left. Didn't work. Instead, I just fell to the left instead of to the right. I put my feet out of the pedal straps, hoping to catch myself. I didn't, but I did manage to scrape the back of my calves against the chain on my way down. There were expletives. I heard sticks cackling from a little way up the street. You thought about it, Mr P said, riding, pulling the bike off me. He held out his hand and pulled me up. When you rock or tilt or wobble, just pedal and you'll be fine. You'll regain your balance automatically. Just focus on keeping momentum. I inspected the backs of my calves. There were small reddening piercings all the way down. I'm cut up, I said. Don't do that again. He did it again. Sadist, I howled as I lost my balance and crashed. But you went further. I pushed the bike off me. I leaned back and twisted my legs around so I could survey the damage to my calves. They looked like I'd been mauled by a dozen cats. 
again? Mr. P asked. Dix didn't leave with his father. Instead, he fought a battle with Mum's temperamental espresso machine and won, barely, then sat with me at the dining table. He wanted to know about the night before. I shrugged. I didn't know what to tell him. Haley and I clicked. We felt real in a way that Maria and I never had. We hadn't waited a year between meetings for one. She said, it was complicated, I said eventually. Bull. Mm-hmm. As much as I wanted to do away with whatever it was that I felt for her, I couldn't. I couldn't shake what Mrs. Walker Price had said. Haley had responsibilities. Oh, responsibilities. Well, Sticks could barely contain his sarcasm. That makes it all okay. I wanted to be as mad as Sticks was, but I wasn't. Was I disappointed? Yes. Did I feel rejected? Certainly. But Mrs. Walker-Price had told me to forget organising the date and maybe she had found out what her mum said and thought I'd... Nope, you're making excuses for her, Stick snapped. She agreed to the date. There's only one person who can undo that and that's her. He had a point. She had your number. She could have called. She should have texted. She should have sent a carrier pigeon. She should have done something, he said. Anyway, onwards and upwards. Now that you can sort of ride a bike, you can cycle your way into someone else's heart. Hmm, because that was what I really wanted to do. Start from scratch with someone new. Again. Six sipped his coffee. Was today okay? It was. Ever since Malvern, Dad had invaded my mind. I'd always assumed he'd moved on, bought a new house and built a new life. But it was different being there. It was different knowing I'd almost rung his doorbell. I had suddenly become aware that there was a space in my life he was supposed to occupy, and that had bothered me. But when Mr. P guided the BMX bike and reassuringly pressed one hand against my back, I was reminded that much like Dad had built a new life for himself, I had built my own without him. I'd collected enough people that the vacancy he left was almost insignificant. Almost. But it was manageable, acceptable, kind of, almost. I didn't want to force it on you, he continued, but I thought, it was great, Lucas, really. He pointed a warning finger at me as he raised his mug. Sticks, he corrected. Shove it. He sipped his coffee. And if you ever need someone to do that dad stuff with you, you can always ask, he said. I'm certain dad wouldn't mind. He could show you how to shave. I can shave. His eyes narrowed. Really, though? Prick. You love it. But seriously, thanks, I added. Chapter 14 My grandmother's operation fell on Monday, the first day of second term. The school holidays had disappeared in a whirl of kidney stone-initiated craziness and there was probably no more fitting way to see them off than a visit to the hospital. Mum wanted us to see Yaya before the surgery, in case. She didn't use those words, but you could feel them hanging over us. We each sat on a chair pulled right up to Yaya's bed, even Peter. As she spoke, we quietly committed her subtle mannerisms to memory, in case. Yaya was having a partial nephrectomy, from the Greek nephro, meaning kidney, and ectomy, as in, cut it the heck out of me. Thanks to the internet, I'd gone to sleep an expert on partial nephrectomies. Basically, the surgeon would make a series of small incisions in her abdomen, through the holes, they would poke around, removing the stones and the part of Yaya's kidney that wasn't working anymore. They'd put in the stent, 
so the kidney closed and that was it. The procedure was considered safe. Its risks were minimal and complications were rare, but that didn't mean they weren't possible. They weren't possible. And I'd seen the TV specials. I knew all about the scalpels surgeons occasionally forgot inside you. I didn't know whether it was the influence of working on a bucket list or because the situation genuinely called for it, but I feared the worst. I paid close attention to the way my grandmother's face lit up when she heard Simon on speakerphone, the way she paused to lick her chapped lips mid-sentence, the way her face skewed when she noticed me staring. What do you look, what you look at? Yaya asked, her eyes narrowed. I shook my head. Nothing. And why are you no visit? It was the first time I'd been to the hospital since Thursday. I had been afraid of running into Haley. He's been too busy setting me up on dates, Mum said. Yaya feigned surprise. Tea? She turned to me and grinned. Cheeky boy! So cheeky, I muttered to myself. Is he Greek? Yaya asked. Mum and I exchanged awkward glances. No, Mum said. Yaya's smile faded. Why not? She pinched my forearm. Ow! Ma, it's fine. I joke, Yaya high-fived the side of my face affectionately. You're so cheeky and handsome in your uniform. Peter and I were all decked out in the Buckley's blue and gold. Like all secondary school uniforms, whoever designed ours had made, hadn't made any attempts to exhaust all the options on the colour wheel. Its components were either blue or gold, and those that weren't exclusively one or the other were both. If I spun around fast enough, I'd hypnotise people. Speaking of, Ma said, tapping an invisible watch on her wrist, you should go. Yeah, probably, I said. We had already missed first period. Factoring in the walk to school, we'd probably only catch the last few minutes a second before recess. I hopped up and Yaya puckered her lips expectantly. I kissed her forehead. No, she growled. I sighed and stuck my neck out. She took my head in her hands and planted a kiss right on my lips. You have good day! Yaya released me. I patted her leg on my way around the bed. You too, Yaya. Eh, maybe. Mum's eyes flared. Ma? My grandmother shrugged. She'll be fine, Mum assured me, pecking me on the cheek. Be good. By the time Peter had shuffled up to Yaya, he mumbled his goodbye. Speak up, Mum growled. He was indignant. What, she heard? Agapi mau! Yaya grunted, Greek for my love. She pulled him down to her level and kissed him. You be good, she added. She didn't release him right away. She whispered something. Yeah, he said softly. You sure? Yaya asked it like she didn't believe him. Yep. She released him. He brushed past mum on the way out. Keep an eye on your phone, she told me. I'll call. I didn't immediately follow Peter down the hall. I stood in the doorway looking at my grandmother. Yaya nodded solemnly. It said everything it had to. That I needed to finish the list. That I really should have set mum up with a Greek. That there was food in the pantry that needed to be eaten. And that she loved me. I smiled faintly. Mine was a full body worry. It was like someone had grabbed me from both ends, twisted me like a pretzel and was slowly tightening the knot. I poked my head through the window that looked into the school sergeant's office. Morning, Sarge. And he added, his voice was like tires on gravel. 
Sergeant Cockburn insisted on two things. One, that he was a sergeant, not a sarge. And two, that the CK was silent. Yes, Dick said, like it is in so many other words. He was in charge of absenteeism and neat attire. So basically, he was nothing like a real word sergeant at all. All late arrivals had to go through him. Name, he said, Billy Siolkus. Excuse? With the sergeant, you were guilty until proven slightly less guilty. I was visiting my grandmother in hospital before kidney surgery, I said. Mum emailed a note. Ah, yes, he said. Your brother came through 10 minutes ago. I was wondering where you were. Then I checked your timetable and saw you had physics. It's not like that. He ran, I promise. Sergeant Coburn didn't look like he believed me. He consulted his watch and started filling out the slip. When he was done, he passed it over. You don't have long left of class, so why bother? I checked the slip as I pulled away from the window. He'd signed me in from recess. Good man, I muttered. I passed my maths teacher on the way to my locker. She asked if I'd had a productive break. It was fairly busy, yeah. Mrs. Schmidt rephrased the question. Did you study? So much had happened since Easter. The stones, the trip to Melbourne, flippant, the bucket list, Haley. I'd forgotten everything that had seemed so important before. The target subject scores, the potential university courses. I hadn't even set foot in a classroom and Buckley's had already dragged me back to reality. I was in year 12 and reality sucked. Yes, I lied. Excellent, she said. You have a good day. It was too early to receive word from mum, but I checked my phone anyway. Nothing. Sticks and I had an aluminium picnic table we called our own. We, I, had dragged it all the way from the cafeteria and positioned it at the top of the rugby fields bank, just before the slope became too steep for stationary objects to remain, well, stationary. I sat on the tabletop with my feet on the seat and flicked my feelings out into the universe. Yaya was my display picture. She had been since my 17th. Mum had booked us a table at a boutique hotel for a sit-down dinner and the photo had been taken in the lobby by a staff member. Yaya had said something in Greek about our photographer's looks just as the picture was taken. The result was a photo of me with my head in my hands and Yaya with this accomplished, I just said something rude the silly girl didn't understand look on her face and it was priceless. I zoomed in on the image. She seemed so proud of herself. And where were you in English first period, Sticks asked, dumping his crutches on the grass and hopping up onto the table beside me. I had to visit Yaya, they're operating today. Sticks's smirk disappeared. Are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. I wasn't, and I was certain he could sense it. He asked, so what do you want? Distraction or compassionate friend? Distraction. Sticks rubbed his hands together. All right, so, and he regaled me with the stories of first period English shenanigans. A couple of minutes in, my mobile vibrated. It was Simon. Any news? The news came at the end of lunch. I was fetching my books out of my locker when my phone rang. Mum's picture had taken over the screen. The pretzel knot tightened. I answered the call. Heart pounding and chest tight. Hello? It's okay, Mum's tinny voice said. Everything went okay. The knot loosened. I relaxed into my locker and asked if she was sure. She was. 
I asked if there was anything I needed to do, and Mum told me to spread the news to my brothers. I tried Simon first. He picked up after the first ring. Hey, his tone was deep and serious. Do we know? Yaya's fine, I said. It went okay. Simon exhaled. I've been petrified all day. Me too. There were a few seconds where we didn't say anything. We just let the relief sink in. I should probably get back to work, Simon said eventually. Okay. Thanks for calling. It was a strange thing to say. Did he think we wouldn't have? See you, he added. Bye. I texted Peter next. His phone was off or he had no reception. Either way, I'd have to find him and tell him in person. Joy. The corridor had already started to clear as students made their way to fifth period. I left my things in my locker and returned to Sergeant Coburn's window. Sarge, I said, unt, I added immediately. What can I do for you, Mr. Tsiolkis? I needed to know what room Peter was in so I could pass on a message. The sergeant consulted his computer. He's not in his regular class, it appears. He's been pulled out for extracurricular activities. I hazarded a guess. In the gym? No, he's in the amphitheatre, he said. What for? Comedy club? Peter was in comedy club. Apparently the school had an extracurricular group for aspiring comics, and my brother who thought any close relative who shared an interest with him had stolen it from him, was in it. He was an aspiring comic, and I had become one entirely by accident. Perfect, I muttered. Peter had taken the amphitheatre stage. I watched from the back. It was dark, and as far as I knew, nobody could see me. The other students had been sourced from different years. They were sitting up the front, their ties loosened and their shirts untucked. Now remember, the supervising teacher said, speak clearly and don't forget your pauses. It's all in the delivery. Peter nodded. He looked up at the almost empty amphitheatre. I crouched down behind the back row. He started. There was a confidence in his voice I hadn't heard before. It sounded like he was talking through a smile. I poked my head up from behind the seat to confirm it. Yep, smiling. It was nice, Peter, the version of himself he reserved for teachers, friends and Yaya, the kind of Peter I only saw brief glimmers of. There he was, in full view, juggling anecdotes and acerbic observations. And he was funny, properly funny. What you doing? I almost jumped out of my skin. A kid had walked in late and crouched beside me. He was literally a couple of centimetres away from my face. I uh, left my pen in here last period. I turned away so he wouldn't realise I looked like the guy on stage and started feeling around underneath the chair. I'll help. You really don't have to. I really didn't want him to. It's okay. He was patting the floor in search for the non-existent pen, but his eyes were glued to the stage. Peter delivered a punchline and the kids snorted. I wish I was as good as this guy. It was weird talking in the opposite direction, but I couldn't risk him noticing the family resemblance. How long have you been doing this? I asked. Only started last term. Okay. That's Pete. He was the one that got the English department to start running the club last year, he said. I stopped sweeping my hand over the same spot on the floor. Peter had been doing it for that long, and I hadn't even had a clue. Oh. The kid pulled his arm out from underneath the row of seats. Found it. I turned to face him. 
he'd found a pen. It wasn't mine, but it seemed like a pretty good pen, so I was totally taxing it. He handed it over. Peter finished his routine and the others started clapping. I should head back, the kid said. Before he could get too far, I said, Oh, actually, I've also got a message from Sarge. That's Peter Siolkis, right? The kid nodded. Can you tell him that his grandmother's surgery went well today? Sure. I didn't leave until the kid passed on the message. I could just make out Peter's face. He was relieved.